Weiß ein Leben lang. Hallo meine Leute, wie geht's? Willkommen zum Das Einzige Schalke Podcast auf Englisch. That's right, folks. Official the world's only English Schalke Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Carmen. Thank you for tuning back to our show. Schalke fans are some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, talk to the English-speaking fans of the club and get their point of view across and bring you game highlights. As always, joining me on this show, co-host... Jack Mangan. Jack, how are we doing after uh, today's game? Hey, Richard. Well, uh, we were so excited last week to be able to hop on and say that it was a Victory Sunday pod, yeah. but that yeah. was uh, short-lived. We're back to our losing ways, unfortunately. <laughs> it is true, and we had some hopes on midweek, but um, yeah, today was a, uh, a bitter uh, bitter taste of getting back to reality, so uh, we'll have to uh, press forward. Um, helping us trying to press forward and see the lighter side of things um, welcome our guest. Uh, he's a Bundesliga journalist and commentator covering Schalke for UEFA, amongst others this season. James Thorogood. Welcome, James. Oh, pleasure to be on the show, guys. Uh, I, I wish it was in more positive circumstances, but I, I, I still retain hope. So I'm hoping I can share that with the fans today. <laughs> yeah, you know, we would love to have you on uh after a win or something like that, but um, it seems this year that the wins are far and few between. So uh, we'll take you any way we can get, and uh, hopefully we can uh, turn this into a positive by the end of the podcast. Exactly. I mean, all I needed to be is was in the stadium. I mean, they won on in midweek against Galatasaray when I was there. Maybe I just need to to get down a little more often to these Schalke games. All right, very good. So before we get into the podcast, let me break down the. Uh, the rundown for the show today. Uh, we will talk Champions League uh, against Galatasaray, an actual win. Um, we'll talk that Frankfurt match, and then we'll have a question and answer uh, with James here. Um, but before we get to that, uh, as the trend has been lately, uh, I want to play a little game, and this one we're going to call Headline News. Uh, the way this works is uh, I'll read you the opening line from an article. You tell me what the article is about and how it relates to Schalke. You guys ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one, an investigation of more than 70 million documents analyzed over eight months by 80 journalists from members of European Investigative Collaborations, EIC, has thrown up some controversial aspects into the popular game. Jack, uh, what am I? what is this article talking about? Is this the, uh, the Der Spiegel leaks recently? Correct. And the question I have for you is, how does it relate to Falcon? I would imagine it would be uh, referring to the discussions of the Super League. That is correct. Schalke is one of the teams mentioned in the uh, in the article about possibly joining this Super League. All right, on to number two, James. Uh, the Bundesliga star has taken to social media to apologize for any offense caused by costume. Uh, who who are they talking about? Are we talking about former former Schalke boy Rafinha? We are. We are. In fact, we are. It is Rafinha, and to the controversial outfit he wore was an Arab bomber uh, for Halloween. 
It was poor. I mean, you can't say anything else about it. Uh, did you guys see this costume? It is always shocking to me how these players apparently have no one around them who's able to just give them a heads up that, hey, maybe not such a good idea on that one. Whether it's uh, Antoine Griezmann with his uh, Harlem Globetrotter blackface last year. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's just it's shocking that, you know, no one at ever any point gives them pause about their their choice of costume. <laughs> Yeah, I think the, I think the thing that surprised me most about that one was how many eyes must have seen it before it hit social media channels from Bayern, and that just that that kind of blows my mind as well that that still made it out there on their own official channels. So it was yeah, it was a surprising one. Rafinha should know better. I mean, he's the joker in the pack at every club he's been at, but yeah, this is a this was not 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 the greatest moment for his humor. Yeah, that, that's a great point too because Bayern has a, has an excellent. A social media presence and you're right that it was it wasn't something that somebody else posted it was them that actually put it out there themselves which was curious as you say Bayern's had a rough week or a rough couple weeks i would say <laughs> um but we're not talking about them today um the last question i have here for both you guys the the opening line is well opening paragraph i should say is i have to tell you this story about my grandma and the world cup toy because that will explain a lot it probably will take me 100 pages to describe my hometown and my family but if i tell you this one story you will understand completely do either of you guys know who this is about or what this is about that's the draxler it is a former soccer player union draxler and his players tribune article on um how he grew up playing football and why he left Schalke. You guys were excellent at that one. I thought it was going to be a little difficult. I thought the first one would be obvious, but uh, you guys are pretty good on that. Very yeah, well good. played. Very good. Enough of these fun and games, Jack. Shall we get this show on the road? Let's take it away. All right, we're going to start this one uh, talking positive in this one. Uh, we're going to talk Schalke 2 nothing victory over Kalatasaray. Uh, Guido Bergstaller, excuse me, Guido Bergstaller scored in the fourth minute. Uh, Mark Uth scored in the 57th minute. Uh, gentlemen, overall, it was a good game, um, but what a, what a bang, what a way to start the game. James, you were there. Um, explain the excitement in the stadium once Bergstaller got that goal uh, minutes into the game. I mean, it, it just erupted, let's be honest. The Veltins Arena just went absolutely wild for it. And it was so funny because I described it initially as a typical Bergstahler goal in terms of the scrappy nature of it <laughs> and him never giving up on it. And every time I watched a replay, I realized I had done him a massive disservice because he actually did really well to get that ball in the back of the net from a tight angle. Um, but it was it was exactly what I think... Schalke needed to just alleviate some of the pressure early on in the game where, let's be honest, the Galatasaray fans were making quite a racket and to silence them that early was actually really important, which is strange to say on home soil, but it was a crucial point for Schalke. Yeah, Jack, uh, the goal, it seemed like, uh, first, it looked like, you know, in live time, it, said it looked like almost a foul by Guido Berkshire when he took the ball and then scored from such a, a tight angle. Um, but upon replay, it looked like it was obvious uh, this error by Muslera and and heads up for a Bergstaller to score basically on the goal line. Yeah, well, initially I couldn't tell if uh, Muslera had just bobbled it or if he intentionally let go of it to avoid uh, right, you know picking right. up a handball foul because he was sliding out of the box. But um, 
I mean, yeah, James, I don't I don't blame you at all for for characterizing that initially as just sort of a typical janky Bergstaller goal because a lot of his stuff does tend to come from um, not the prettiest of plays, kind of broken situations. But, you know, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right it, to, to have the awareness to know exactly where that that near post was and kind of get that shot off, um, you know, tight angle and kind of, you know, off balance and everything. It was a great finish from him. And uh, Schalke have not fared well when we have gone down early this season so uh, as you say absolutely crucial to grab that early one and uh, start things off on the right foot it seems in these kind of uh, in this game at least particularly James you mentioned that the Galatasaray fans were very loud in this one and it almost seemed like there were uh, many Galatasaray fans uh, spread out throughout the stadium um, I know uh, you know this part of 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 town or of the country is a lot of uh, Turkish uh, immigrants there. Um, but from your perspective, uh, how, how many actually fans were there? Was it just more than just their, the, the typical road uh, roadblock or was it just really spread out throughout the stadium? Oh no, like you had them, you had them in their little corner of the away fans, but there was a huge smattering of Galatasaray fans in amongst the Schalke supporters as well. And I mean, this is it. Yes, there's in the rural Gebiet, you know, in, in Nordrhein-Westfalen as a whole, there's a, a strong Turkish community. So there'll have been fans coming to support Galatasaray from, you know, two, three hours drive away because this is their one chance to do it on German soil with their potentially favorite team from back home. And it was quite impressive. I mean, what was great is that, you know, there was a strong police presence. They were expecting maybe um, a few hairy moments, but none arised. It all seemed to be in really good spirits. And the Galatasaray fans were making a, a lot of noise. But what that actually meant is that Schalke fans had to raise their game when it came to creating an atmosphere as well. And compared to the Porto game, that was crucial because the Porto game, there was so... Like nervous, there was so much nervousness that filtered down from the crowd to the players in that game, and this one with the early goal and with the Galatasaray fans kind of making the Schalke fans bring their A game. I think it all just made for the perfect blend um, of a perfect start to the game for Schalke in that one. Jalka, Jalka, Jack, man, I'm mixing up my word. I'm going to be Jalka from now on. I'll um, take that name. That's not bad. Jalka. Okay, right on. Um, it was crucial for Bergstaller to score that goal early on because Schalke have had trouble all year round, you know, scoring goals, let alone getting the first goal of the game. So how big of that was that momentum for Schalke to get that goal? Um, in particular, Bergstaller, four minutes in, changing the game plan, I'm sure, for uh, Fatih Tarim. Yeah, I mean, we, we've struggled all season to create uh, clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities, and a lot of the ones that we have had, um, we haven't been able to to finish on, or they've been reversed for offside decisions or VAR, just a bunch of weird things that have been happening to us this season. And um, yeah, as you say, like three, four minutes in to go ahead um, in a crucial Champions League fixture is just massive for the uh, the confidence of the team, and um, you know avoids us going down and playing from behind, which we've been uh, far too accustomed to this season. Guido Bergstaller uh, had himself had himself a heck of a game. Not only getting a goal, but getting an assist on Mark Uth's goal. Um, you know this this lineup with you know Bergstaller and Bolo Uth, and it seemed at least at the time that this kind of lineup is actually working for Schalke, and they're getting their goals now. Uh, there's two goals. I mean, two goals in how many games in a row that they've had? Uh, we've rarely seen it this season. James, um, what kind of how, what kind of impact does Bergseller have when he ha- when he when he is getting goals and assists in, in these types of situations for the team? Well, I mean, like, look, I, I'll be honest. I'm a big fan of Bergstaller's because I think he embodies a lot of the qualities that 
Tedesco demands of Schalke um, and his players in terms of the work ethic, work rate, and just the fact that, as I say, this goal personified him in the fact that it was this never-say-die attitude when it came to keeping the chance alive. He brings a lot of hustle and bustle. Jack's right, he doesn't score the most attractive and like prettiest goals, but he really drives a team forward. Now, the problem for me with Schalke is I'm also a big fan of Brill Embolo, and I think they are too similar a player to, to necessarily partner up front too regularly. I think in the circumstances right now, Schalke maybe need to resort to that because goals are hard come by. And, okay, Oot's now injured, which is a massive drawback. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But in this formation with all three of them on Oot, I liked him in the role, but you still want him getting in the final third a little more often. And that's where I think Bergstahler and Embolo, they both put in the the hard yards, but their end product this season hasn't been the best. And Oot is the one that I would turn to, but then you look at his form and that's that's been a worry uh, for Schalke already this season. But Bergstahler, I just think he's Tedesco's guy when it comes to exactly what he brings up front. And I think this ch- the chance that he took was actually perfect for him because I think Embolo would have thought about it too long and maybe scuffed his shot. Oot hasn't had luck in those 50-50 chances where he's gone on instinct and somehow he seemed to put it wide too often. Bergstahler was the perfect guy to take it because he, was he wasn't going to have any fear when it came to the confidence of having to take that shot. And that's no. what I love about him. No, I, I love your comments. I mean, he really is sort of like the physical embodiment of, of the, the working class ethos of the club in a lot of ways. And it's easy to see why he's, you know, a, a manager and a, and a fan favorite. But let, let's talk about Mark Oud for a second, if you don't mind. What have you made of that wrinkle in recent matches of, of dropping Oud into the midfield three and having him play that deeper role and kind of making those late runs? I mean, I'll be honest, I'll, I was the first to when I saw it happen against, um, I think it was Hanover first, if I'm right. It, su- it surprised me in the fact that I went, OK, he's been brought in to score the goals. It's strange that they're not playing him up front. But at the same time, if I'm going to trust, you know, there are a couple of head coaches that have done it in the past in the Bundesliga. But right now, if I'm going to trust one head coach to have spotted something on the training ground when it comes to a player's qualities and how they may actually fit a different role, Domenico Tedesco is going to be high on that list. And so he's obviously seen something in Oud and has realized that maybe there's a lack of confidence in front of goal. So let him drop back and catch defenders off guard because they're going to have their eyes and their attention on Bergstahler and Embolo, who are both a huge handful for any centre-back, even if they aren't the most prolific of strikers. So with the focus on those two, Oot has more freedom to move around. And so I actually don't mind the move. And I think we saw it really come to fruition in this Galatasaray game because the impact he had with those late runs. Um, and then he, as he said, he, you know, I talked to him after the game. He was our star man for UEFA, so I did a quick interview with him. And he said, look, you know, I am about goals. I am a striker. But I enjoyed the way I was able to make deep runs. And I still proved that I could be a goal threat from that position. And I think if he's happy being a goal threat in that role instead of his normal role as a striker, then he's going to be happy operating there. And it may bring out more from him that we haven't seen before, because now he is the guy playing the passes that last season at Hoffenheim, he'd have been on the end of. And I think it's a nice transition that we're seeing uh, under Tedesco with Oot right now. Yeah, I've, I've liked it myself quite a bit as well. And I, I definitely agree that uh, you, you kind of have to give Tedesco the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, particularly his his transition of, of Max Meyer from a number 10 to more of like a number six last year. Um, it was Caliguri. A yeah, Caliguri as well. Although, I mean, there are times he, he does do something that kind of raises the eyebrow. Weston McKenney, second striker, 
a few weeks ago was, <laughs> yeah. was a curious yeah. one. But um, yeah, no, he definitely does seem to have an eye for um, giving him an unconventional look, to put it that way. I mean, the other thing I like about it is that it shows Tedesco's not scared to try and adapt to a situation. So he's not going to get stuck in his ways, which is sometimes the downfall of head coaches. He's willing to mix things up and try things new, even throwing McKinney up front, you know. I'm just waiting for uh, Guido Burksellar to be right back. <laughs> <laughs> so we saw, you know, Jack and I have talked about this before, you know, Uth, while he was a goal scorer last year with Hoffenheim, he wasn't necessarily getting all his goals as a striker position. He would do it in the left wing or, or wherever. He'd move around. And it seems like moving him into this you know, this new position uh, that Tedesco has, it seems to make him more of a goal-scoring threat now, it seems, because he's getting more involved in the game. He's playing, feeding off of other players, uh, you know, give and go, getting passes. And then we, as we saw with the Berkshaler goal, you know, getting wide open there in front of the net, it's definitely a positive i'm going to take away from all this uh, even even without the goals he's obviously working a lot harder now it seems like because he's he's omnipresent even when he's not scoring a goal he's just everywhere um so that's definitely a a, a positive trend for Schalke. overall in this game i thought i mean we know how we know how dangerous of a team galatasaray can be um i thought Schalke looked fairly solid in this game and i don't i don't really think nubel who you know who's been shining in in uh, fairman's pr- uh, absence uh, was never really bothered in this one um what did you make of Schalke's ability to, you know, take the game that they had in in, in, in Turkey and then come back to, to Gelsenkirchen and really, you know, solidify that that game and, and completely shut down Galatasaray almost, it seemed like? Oh, yes. I mean, like, for me, it was they exercised demons with this performance. You know, the, the Galatasaray game in Turkey was one about missed chances. And this one was really about the redemption of kind of getting over that result and still maintaining this positive course that they're on in the Champions League. And I think they did that really well. There were a couple of moments where, for me, they spent a a spell of play inviting a little too much pressure on themselves. There was the chance for Rodriguez uh, before halftime that maybe could have changed the complexion of the game. But on the whole, this, you know, reverting back to the three-man back line has done Schalke a world of good. And it's tapping back into the defensive strengths that we saw from them last season. And let's be honest, that was the foundation of the second place finish. It was also grinding out scrappy results. And that hasn't necessarily been uh, Schalke's forte this season. But in the Champions League, at least, they really are getting the job done. And they are meeting expectations, in my opinion. And they've got a great chance to get out of this group after the Galatasaray win. And so that has to be seen as as a huge positive right now. So, I mean, I'm obviously very pleased with these Champions League performances against Galatasaray, but um, I'm going to be super picky and, and say that, and you, you were in the stadium, so, I mean, you maybe have a better view into this than I would, but it still seemed that um, too wasteful, in my opinion. I mean, you look at the goals that were scored in this one. Um, I mean, the Bergstaller goal is just a strange, broken play. I mean, that's not a goal that you see happen you know, more than once or twice a season, really. It's a very strange occurrence. And the second one is just, it's a great cutback pass from from Bergstaller, but that's going to be one of the easier goals Mark Wood scores in his career, I would imagine. I mean, he's completely wide open. It's it's awful defending um, from Galatasaray. And there were a number of chances that we missed beyond that. I think Harit had a almost an open net, like right outside the six-yard box, um, yep. and, and Bolo missed a point blank header later on. And like, those are the things that I really need to see personally before I start feeling, um, a little bit more optimistic about 
the Schalke team at the moment. Um, we, we really have been slightly too wasteful, in, in my opinion, and that, that needs to improve. Oh, I mean, like that that has unfortunately been the story of your guys' season. I mean, at the beginning of the season, the, the, the poor start, there were times where you could point to, you know, things just not going your way in games, whether that was big refereeing decisions or even just simple things like 50-50 balls in midfield that oftentimes went against you, whereas last season they seemed to be falling your way. And the, the goal scoring is an issue. And that's why, I mean, a 2-0 win against Galatasaray is good. You are right. There were chances that should have been put away that weren't put away. But right now, you've got to take every goal that you can take. And it's only in results. And I think it, you know, it comes to the fore when you see a game like the Frankfurt game, which we'll talk about later, where the chances missed come back to haunt you. And whereas last season, you guys were winning tight games, even when you weren't playing them the most aesthetically pleasing football, you know, <laughs> you, were getting, you, were, you were getting results. And that was the that was the effective effectivity of what Tedesco was doing that gloss has kind of been lost a little bit this season and it does come down to goal scoring but goal scoring with the players that you've got in your squad can be turned around i do believe that for me embolo is a wonderful player if his work you know if his end product matches work eth- work ethic it would be great but he's that young and that raw and has that much potential that goal scoring and his natural finishing is something that he can work on at least he's got the work ethic. That's the great foundation to build on. And he's just one example. I think with Oot, with Mbolo, and I'd say Bergstahler less so, because I don't think Bergstahler is ever going to be a 15-plus goal a season striker. But I think Oot and Mbolo have both shown that they can be. Mbolo just, he's lost his confidence. He needs to get it back. And Tedesco's doing a great job of giving him game time to do that, I think. Jack, uh, this game certainly looked like it was vintage Schalke, and maybe they had shaken off, like, like like James said, their demons, and would be back to what they were, what we were accustomed to last year. Um, impressive performance all the way around with Galata- against Galatasaray in this one. Yeah, I mean, four games uh, undefeated in the Champions League, uh, survived through all those match days without. Uh, grabbing a loss, and you can you can make the argument that even that opening um, match against Porto, we may have won if it weren't for a couple highly yeah, exactly. questionable penalty decisions in that one. So um, yeah, I think th- I think this game marked what was it five unbeaten, yeah, um, in, across all competitions at that point. So definitely um, some positive signs. Schalke slowly starting to turn things around. Um, although uh, <laughs> the Frankfurt match <laughs> today maybe sullies that a little bit. Yeah, if uh, we look at the group standings after this game against Galatasaray, Porto sat, sitting first at 10 points, um, all but assured going into the next round. Uh, Schalke now have eight points, Galatasaray four, Lokomotiv zero. Um, Schalke hasn't necessarily locked up a position in uh, the next round, but they are sitting very pretty. Uh, James? Well, you're guaranteed to be in Europe after the winter break. Exactly. That's important, right? Exactly. Now, the question is, this is what I actually I'm curious about this, James. Um, for Schalke's perspective, if if they don't qualify for the knockout stages for some reason, say they, they implode and they, they choke here and out in Galatasaray and get it, do they want to be in Europa League? Is it, or will it be a distraction to them considering the season that they're having right now in the Bundesliga? I, that's, I mean, that's a great question that ultimately, let's be honest, only Tedesco can answer. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. Um, in my opinion, I think the focus at that point, depending on how, how you guys have done between now and the end of the, the first half of the season in the Bundesliga, if you've gone on a streak and climbed up the table and things are looking a little rosier, 
then it changes the whole you know complexion of everything. And at that point, the Europa League is still European football. It is still a competition that can be won. And yes, he may use it as a chance to rotate. But let's be honest, there's not a trend of Bundesliga clubs taking that competition uh, lightly. You know, they tend to take it more seriously um, than, let's be honest, teams from other nations sometimes. Um, but... I think Europa League isn't a bad thing, but they will put the focus then. Priority number one will be the Bundesliga and making sure they're in Europe next season. So the focus would shift if I were Tedesco. I think I agree with you on that. It's it's really going to depend on how Schalke has performed um, in the Bundesliga up to that point. Because, I mean, there's an argument to be made that the Europa League could end up being the vehicle that we need to, to qualify for Europe next season. Um, and obviously I wouldn't be... Op, like super optimistic about our chances of, of winning that competition, but you know we made the uh, the semifinal a couple seasons back, um, and I mean if if it's if we're sitting in you know mid table, by the time we uh, we miss out on the knockout stages, maybe that would be an interesting place to to put some of our energy to try to sneak into Europe that way. Yeah, I mean, I also, I mean, I also look at it as a as a point of thinking, depending on how things are going. Like ultimately, he's going to put a lot of focus on the game uh, against Porto and then against Lokomotiv Moscow. But you you wrap it up with the Porto win, and then the sixth game becomes redundant anyway, because at that point you're in the knockout stages, and okay, you want to take top spot in the group, but the pressure is off against Lokomotiv in your final home game of the group stages, where let's be honest, the mood will then be better because you've already qualified, and so that I mean, that's the priority if you can can move on to to uh to a fifth unbeaten um game and then pick up a positive result against porto i think it just eases the pressure completely and usually you do want to finish first in the group uh, going into the knockout stages but i think this year with so many groups of deaths if you will so many good teams in all and and almost every group uh pretty much doesn't matter where you end up first or second you're going to get a heavyweight most likely uh, finishing in second in, in 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 these groups. So at this point, you know, just like you said, get that get the three points against Porto and rest some players and then focus in the the Bundesliga because you'll have some uh, tasty encounters coming up. Um, shifting from a positive to today, what we saw today, um, f- we went to Frankfurt and uh, they took it to us, uh, three nothing victory for Frankfurt. Uh, two goals by Luka Jovic, uh, goal from Haller. Uh, Haller and Jovic are up there in goal scoring in uh, the Bundesliga. Both of them have more goals than Schalke have all season long combined, or each actually. So um, retook a a beating Jack. Um, but this l- l- before we get to the goals, um, we had a couple injury scares. Uh, first, Mark Uth, and then uh, Brielle Mbolo briefly. Yeah, and that Mark Uth injury did not look good uh at all i i haven't heard any news yet as to if there's any sort of prognosis for him how long he's going to be out but um you know pulled up lame on a sprint you could tell immediately that it was uh his hamstring that went and he looked to uh to know it was serious right away so that was uh very disappointing to see horrible timing for just as he's starting to find his form beginning to knock some goals in in in, you know this new role in the midfield um i feel so bad for him you know he's had such a rough go of it and it looked like he was finally turning a corner and this is you know the absolute worst timing for this he's also going to miss out on his his national team call if you would think as well um which once again is another exciting thing from him finally getting back into that fold after you know a long absence for the majority of his um you know top flight professional career uh and then uh yeah I, and Bola was just that head injury right yeah 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 i mean i think he was probably fine had a little bit of a had a little bit of a cut but he can uh 
he can fight through that. He should be all right. <laughs> James, how long do you think before we get an update on uh, this Mark Uth injury? Luckily for us, there is that break, international break, so there will be some a time before the next game. I think the 24th is the next game. Um, but um, Schalker obviously going to, you know, want to find out what the you know the status of this injury when do you think early, early this week we'll find an update or how long do you think it'll think before we get uh, some news on him i mean Sch- schalke don't normally waste a lot of time when it comes to giving an update on an injury especially one as obvious as this to to oot and i mean it looked like hamstring and and those are never easy to recover from but if he's if he's kind of taken a precautionary measure then maybe it's not as bad as first feared. It was more the fact that he, you know, at one point they were calling for the stretcher and it almost didn't seem like he wanted to test it even coming off the pitch, which wouldn't have been great. But I think Schalke will be quite quick to get out news of it. And I think it's maybe it's a blessing in disguise that he's not going away with the national team now, given how hard he's been pushing himself for Schalke at the start of this season. All right. Now, before we get to the goal, I want to get both you guys' input on this play. So when Mbola came back in, um, he had a great opportunity to give Schalke the lead. Uh, looked like he may have got tripped in the box and then takes a shot, gets saved by Kevin Trapp. Uh, Jack, from your perspective, did that look like a penalty to you or are you happy with the no call? Or are you fine? Not happy, but fine with it. I mean, I think there was. there's definitely contact, but uh, I mean, I think you saw that Mbolo immediately realized that he wasn't confident that was going to be called. And so he would rather just seen out the play rather than um, kind of take that dive and, and hope he gets the decision. So um, I'm not like upset that it didn't get called or anything. And I don't think you really can call that if Mbolo stands up right away. Anyway, they're not going to, you know, call a penalty on a guy who's alive in the box with a ball probably. But uh, yeah, I mean, that whole thing just, just threw off his rhythm on that. And I, I don't really blame him for not being able to finish that off once he, um, went down initially that's it's tough to recover from that but that was yeah that was a golden opportunity and that would have completely changed the match potentially if we had grabbed that one yeah i i I saw i saw that chance happen and i part of me wanted embolo to be rewarded for trying to stay on his feet because i think he felt the contact it did break his rhythm he then tries to stay on his feet to complete the chance and if it goes in then we're not really talking about this but i think at the same time it would have been a soft penalty and so i like the fact that jack was that was a very unbiased opinion you gave there jack i like it yeah i mean i always try to give people credit for not taking the easy way out and you know trying to get those calls i mean that's just something as a as a fan of football in general i just i dislike that aspect of the game even though it is you know just kind of a reality of the game so i i appreciate that he made the effort at least yeah it often seems like when players are in that situation that we either get mad at them for trying to stay up or or going down too easily uh in this in this situation had he gone down like you said jack there's no guarantee that he would have been called anyway and i think you got to give him credit for staying up and trying to score, you know, considering it was a 50-50 chance. And um, it was unfortunately that he missed that shot because um, it seems like it does in football. And one great chance happens, one field, one down, one side of the pitch, and you miss, it comes back and bites you. And it, and it sure did with Luka Jovic, uh, uh, a br- brilliant goal past uh, Ralph Fairman gives the host a lead, one nothing. James, um, that seemed to ignite the crowd. Already, already a hostile crowd, but uh, it seemed to turn them on even more uh, once that goal went in. 
Yeah, I mean, Frankfurt, to be honest, are one of the other teams that I'm covering for UEFA this season. And I've been to their two European home games. I know what that crowd is like. And this season, they have been pulling out some incredible atmospheres. And I can only imagine what the sound would have been like when that goal was scored, especially given it being Jovic, their you know, golden boy right now. And so that would have been a difficult one for Schalke the stomach, I think, today, because it would have turned, turned the home crowd up a notch even further um, and that is already a difficult place to go to and then the thing is it comes down to confidence for me because Frankfurt are a team playing with confidence and Schalke are a team that right now too often are second guessing themselves and it just uh, it's a point with that Mbolo chance again because I liked what I liked about it, it was all instinct for him it wasn't like the one against Galatasaray in the nil-nil draw where he had so long to think about it and you almost saw him pull it off um, but for the spectacular save. And then this is the thing, Frankfurt go down to the other end, they, they're just playing with confidence. Jovic especially, that guy, it just seems everything he touches turns to gold. And unfortunately, he's like the perfect example almost of exactly what Schalke are missing right now. Alaire's goal return is amazing for Frankfurt, but he's your Bergstahler character, your Embolo character, the hard-working physical presence that's a handful def- for defenders. You've then got him complemented by Jovic, the natural finisher, and that's what Schalke don't have right now, it seems. And so I thought it was almost um, poetically appropriate that Jovic was the one that opened the scoring. Um, that, um, was it was it Jovic's first goal where Salif Sane made the the gamble to try to make a tackle and it went right past him and, yeah. and the goal happened? I was screaming at the top of my lungs when that happened because I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? If it was Naldo, Naldo would have got him or got the player, and Sane did neither. <laughs> yeah, I found a couple things he did on that sequence highly questioned. I mean, initially, I mean, first of all, I think he probably had more time to deal with that initial header, um, but kind of just flicked it back without really looking where that was going and it fell right into um the path of that Frankfurt counterattack. Um and then yeah like you said he he went to he went to ground way early instead of kind of sticking with his man and trying to cut off that passing lane and everything. And it just seemed like all the Schalke players started going to the ground. It was this domino effect and uh Jovic was able to run through and and put it away. But uh yeah, I mean he's in phenomenal form right now. He's just unconscious and you could tell that especially on his his second goal which was just you know a striker full of confidence who's who's who sees a ball coming in like that and has no doubt that he's gonna have a, a good opportunity on goal james it's a three-headed monster up there they have Halera, jovic and rebic um the one guy who didn't get a goal in this game anton rebic we as bundesliga fans know how good he is uh the world kind of got a glimpse of that at the world cup um there's a play, and I don't know if it's between the first and second goal or second and third, but um, he completely outmans uh, Salif Sane, to put it to put it mildly. Um, this kid pushes him off the ball, gets a wonderful shot off, gets a hit off the post. Um, this seemed like this guy, there's nothing this guy can do, and he seems like a complete striker um, and a perfect uh, perfect line mate, if you will, for both Jovic and Haller. Yeah, I mean, this is it. They they have a three-pronged attack that's really working for them right now, that they just have an understanding um, that not a lot of front lines in the Bundesliga can boast this season. Um, I'd say they've even you know shown more chemistry than, than Bayern's front line this season, uh, for instance. And so it's not surprising that they're playing with confidence, even against a Schalke side that have been very defensively sound, at the very least, in recent matches. And it, it just struck me as strange, because Salif Sane, for me, has has been comfortably your best summer signing 
Um, he's received praise from all corners and rightly so. You know, he's played, I think he's the only outfield, I oh know he's the only Schalke player to have played every minute now because Ralph Fairman hasn't even played every minute. And so that's just an incredibly impressive um, standing for a player that's just come in in the summer. The problem is, and I think we saw it in some of his moments against Frankfurt, he doesn't exude the cool, calm, collected nature that Naldo did last season. And Naldo is just a wonderfully graceful centre-back that few compare to. And while Sane, he's got the he's got the right attitude, his positioning's good, he reads the game well, um, he definitely gets stuck in. He doesn't have that composed nature that spreads calm throughout a back line. And I think we saw that exposed today against Frankfurt because this three, three-pronged three front line are so energetic, they're so dynamic, and you just don't know who to follow when it comes to the runs they're making. And Rebich, this chance that you're talking about is a wonderful example of that where it's just a physicality, one-on-one situation, and Sane just didn't quite read the game well, and Rebich had the beating of him, and it was very close to being a wonderful goal. It seems like um, Sane, who we just said it was very calm in this game and cool, uh, cool-headed, uh, got he got completely lost in this game. I mean, after the first goal, he went, out, he got irate with the referee, got picked up a yellow card. He probably could have gotten a red card, you know, because he constantly went after the referee, berating him after every goal. Uh, the, the the back line seemed to just fall apart, and it was just a shellacking they took to Frankfurt in that second half. Um, <laughs> Overall, Jack, uh, you know, after the five-game unbeaten, um, we thought we were getting into a back to our old ways from last year, and then and it's just swiftly after this three-nothing beating, it seems like we're back to square one. Yeah, well, midweek I, I joined the Hey Eintracht Frankfurt podcast to preview this match, and my my score prediction for this game was actually a three-one victory for Eintracht. So it ended up being pretty pretty similar to that, but it's still disappointing the way it happened and um i mean just like the uh the hanover goal last week that second yovich goal just ball watching i mean they they get wide on us and and i don't i mean i feel like the the team is and sleep Sane in particular is fine when the game is in front of him but once once the back is turned they they just seem to completely lose everyone they're supposed to be keeping an eye on uh we, we've we've really struggled when the team when opposing teams get into wide areas in my opinion we've really struggled defending crosses and in those situations and and frankfurt dominated that statistic um today i think they had like more than twice as many crosses as, as we did it and they in costic and DeCosta were bombing on and, and really causing us a lot of a lot of problems but uh yeah i mean definitely disappointing the way this one went given um some of the more recent improvements and you know like like we said the five game unbeaten streak heading into this one just to pick up on that point that jack's made because it's a really good point given the fact that you guys play the same formation it's thinking about the positions that Kostic and DaCosta got into compared to the ones that Caligiuri and Schupf got into. And that hasn't just been a problem in this game against Frankfurt for Schalke this season. It's been a problem in a lot of games. I'm not seeing Caligiuri pose anywhere near as much threat as mm-hmm. he did last season. And, OK, the problems at left-back maybe stem down to the uh, uh, Chipka injury as well. Mendel is very, very raw, even if he likes to get forward. And Schupf is a diligent worker, but he's not a natural left-wing-back. And that's the thing for me this season that I, I think has been lacking compared to last season is the, 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 the efficiency that the wingbacks bring to an attacking threat in Schalke's game. And no, so, I, yeah, so it's a great point to make, Jack. No, and I think, I think you're 
right as well. Richard and I have discussed that uh, a couple occasions so far this season. How many times last year did Daniel Caliguri have possession of the ball, kind of like that top corner of the box area in, exactly. the, in the opponent's final third? And that's kind of where a lot of our um, our moves in the final third were coming from, from crosses from him or taking somebody on the dribble. He is almost never in that position for us this season. He's, he's way too often pinned further back on the pitch, and we definitely saw that today. It seems like uh, the announcers made made note of this several times. Is that Schalke are just way too predictable? It's not enough creativity on the team. Konoplyanka, Harit wasn't didn't get to start in this game. He didn't come in until late. Uh, very, I think after the game was already over, three nothing. Um, they need to find a way to spark that creativity because, as the, the commentator said, they're just too predictable. It's easy to defend against against them. Uh, Frankfurt just having a, a field day. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was thinking about this before coming on the show, and I know this may not be necessarily a popular opinion because it is a, a tough pill to swallow. But it, it's for me, it comes down to Leon Goretzka far too often this season, where I'm looking at him and going, last season he was a guy that could change the game, and especially the season before that as well. But it's also kind of maybe facing up to the reality and the harsh reality that he also just made everyone else around him better, and I think yeah. the the driving force he had as the box-to-box presence and that ambition he had to push forward when he got the ball is sometimes lacking. Swat said, uh, I was a big fan of him at Mainz, but the minute he gets the ball at Schalke, yep. well, not the, not every time, but a lot of the time he's passing sideways or backwards and he's not looking forward. And I don't get that because at Mainz, he always looked forward. Um, and this is he, why... He looks completely praised. lost out there right now. He, he does. Um, and I, I'm a huge fan of Weston McKenney. Um, he's not necessarily the most technically gifted player, but at least... and unfortunately he's one of the few players that does it at least when he gets on the ball he's looking to move forward whether with a bursting run of his own or a pass and that is something I think Schalke have been have been lacking and for me that's where the Goretzka departure hits them the hardest because no one stepped into that role McKenney's tried to but he's also been played all over the pitch by Tedesco so bless him I think he's he's just trying to put in 100% wherever he is on the, on the pitch and he doesn't necessarily have a role carved out for him yet yeah, and McKenney actually, I think, had uh, created one of our better chances in the second half. I believe yeah, they, they yeah. cut back to kind of Plianka that that hit the bar. Um, but I uh, no, I, I agree with you. I think I think Goretzka just kind of had this inertia to him constantly that he was just he was pulling everyone along with him, and we definitely seem to be missing that presence in the center of the pitch. Can I ask you guys a question, actually? Because from a, from yeah. an outside perspective, this is something that struck me as strange. Bentaleb in the six. When you have Mascarell and you've got Rudy, why is Bentaleb in the six? Because when it comes to creativity, I know he's not the most mobile 10 or the most athletically gifted 10, but he's got a vision for a pass that maybe only Amina Harit has in that role. And so it struck me as strange that, um, what was it? It was even in the game against Galatasaray when he came on and Rudy was on the pitch. It was Rudy that moved forward. And he was still playing in the in the holding midfield role, and that strikes me as strange because I want him further up front. Jack, you can go first. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think you're definitely right when it comes to if he's being paired with somebody like Rudy, it would absolutely make more sense for Rudy to be the more deeper lying uh, presence and have have Bentaleb further the pitch. But I mean, just in this one, uh, you know, the people that he's initially partnered with, um, I mean, it's it's Mark Uten, Suat Serdar. Um, that he's in the midfield with. And I think in that situation, it probably would make sense for him to be a little bit deeper. But um, 
yeah, it, it's it's very surprising that a player of Mascarell's caliber that we've brought in um, hasn't really made much of an impact during the season. I know he had like some injury issues at the very beginning, but um, I think I believe he was among the subs today, and he just really can't seem to get that many looks. And um, I mean, yeah, I, I do think that's curious that Bentaleb has gotten the amount of playing time he has, particularly in that area of the pitch, there do seem to be better options that we have at our disposal, but for whatever reason, it hasn't worked out that way so far. And it seems like maybe he's trying to tap in, he, Tedesco, is trying to tap into what he did last year with Max Meyer. Max Meyer wasn't your traditional number six, yet he was so smooth passing, he can get his way out of jams, and maybe he thought, he thinks that Bentaleb is that kind of guy as well. I, too, don't like him in that position. I, I prefer Rudy or Mascarell. Uh, when Mascarell came in, I was hoping, oh, this is going to be the guy. And then obviously Rudy, when he came in, I thought would even would even more so be perfectly suited for that position. Um, yeah, it, I'm just still trying to figure out why Bentaleb is playing that position. I mean, maybe he just wants to get Bentaleb on the pitch and just put him in any way he can possibly. I mean, like Jack said, if you know you got Uth or Serdar out there, Bentaleb's going to be the guy going to be back there as opposed to the other two. But um, there's a point when you want to have everyone on the pitch that you want, but also put him in the wrong position. That nest, that won't um, won't cause that creation creativity that Rudy or Mascarell or someone who is more suited for that position can bring. Well, he definitely has a reputation for being um, a little petulant, doesn't he? And, and vocal if yeah. he's not getting a run of minutes, maybe that has yeah. something to do with it as well. Yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating character for me because he's he's still very young despite being on the scene for a long time. And we've seen that he can demonstrate leadership qualities, but he can also, as you say, be very petulant and immature at times where you go, I'm not really looking to you as the, you know, the leader of this side. Uh, and he's got great vision, so I don't mind him in this deep-lying playmaker role at times because he can affect the build-up play. But yeah, Rudy, he did it at Hoffenheim and he's been you know, learning at Bayern as well in terms of how to play the holding midfield role role and, and and play the angles and make himself accessible and then affect the build-up play and it's just it just strikes me as strange that Bentaleb is using that role predominantly seemingly in a game like today Jack's right against Frankfurt it makes sense that he plays in the six but not always has that been the case and it just strikes me as strange that Tedesco seems to rely on him in that position that seems to be the preferred position for him this season well after this uh Frankfurt beating um <laughs> maybe it'll change us- yeah, it make, it'll make no changes, and it leaves us some more more questions and and head scratching than we have all season. Uh, just when we, like I said, well, just when we thought we we figured it out, it's we're back to square one. Um, now we are with that loss, uh, it leaves us in 14th place, um, still one point out of relegation, ten points from eleven games. Um, coming up, looking at the schedule ahead, uh, Nuremberg, <laughs> Nuremberg, Nuremberg, uh, November 24th. Uh, that's the first game after the international break, followed by Champions League against Porto on the 28th. Um, then in kickoff December, you have Hoffenheim and the big Riviera Derby. Gentlemen, this is a daunting schedule, especially the first two weeks in, the, in December. Um, while I think we're all in agreement that Tedesco's job is safe for the moment, this Nuremberg game is a must win, is it not, Jack? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't believe we've picked up uh, points against any teams in the top half-ish so far. Um, I'm trying to think of who we've played. We've been, you know, losing to Bayern, losing to Werder Bremen. We got a point off Leipzig. Okay, that's that's true. But um, I mean, generally speaking, have not fared well against the better teams in the Bundesliga this season, which would make sense because we haven't fared well at all. So when you're going up against a team 
like Nuremberg sitting down in what, like 15th or so potential relegation candidate. Um, you know, I think we need to <laughs> hopefully, yeah, it's, it's going to be Bergstahl and the other uh, Nuremberg players that we've stolen from them. But uh, we need to, uh, yeah, we, we need to get a result for sure that I don't, I mean, I don't want to say it's a must win. I mean, it's so early in the season, but that's going to be a very, I mean, you got to, you got to capitalize on the matches that you should win. And regardless of, uh, where Schalke has fallen this season, I think all of us would agree that that is a game that, um, given our the, the talent in our squad, we should get all three points in that one. James, you know, could could that that the Derby game against Dortmund really be a make or break for Tedesco, considering how they lost to Frankfurt three nothing, and Dortmund seemed to have more firepower than they did, than Frankfurt does? Um, if they get shellacked for some reason by 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 Dortmund. Will this spell the end for Tedesco? Look, if I'm really honest, I'm in the camp where I would like Tedesco to stay on no matter what happens this season. Um, I just think we had Brighton Wright to come in. We had Vinesil come in. It, it was proof that I think Schalke was a step too far for both of them. And I think the club and Heidel both need to really get behind one of the brightest coaching prospects in Germany, and that is Tedesco. Early, I mean, early indications right now remain reasonably positive. The fact that they are standing by him despite some dodgy results and despite a tough start to the season. And you're right, the Revere derby, there's just so much focus on it. But let's not forget, I mean, he was praised for the efforts of last season in that fixture. So maybe not all of that should be forgotten too quickly. But I, I would like him to be given the chance to turn things around even after the winter break because I think there's a long season ahead right now for Schalke. Things, as we've talked about in Europe, are looking really good for them getting into the knockout stages, so that has to be seen as a success. And he's 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 an inexperienced coach that is, for the first time, dealing with a squad that's competing in three competitions. And that's not easy. It is going to take some time to adjust, and I think the faith needs to be put in him that he is the right man to take them forward uh, in the future as well. And so I would like no snap reactions, even even with a shellacking in the Revier derby. And I know that's hard to say, but I think even then they should stick by him. The thing that strikes me, and this is sort of like an intangible thing that I really have no um, statistical evidence for or anything like that, but um, he, to me he's such an important figure at the club just because of the spirit in the team, which... In, in previous seasons under previous regimes, when things have been going better and, and the Schalke is significantly higher up the table, just the body language and, and the attitude and the chemistry is just like not there. And even um, this season with with the struggles, like the team seems to be a unit, seems to be um, together and have have a good relationship with the manager. And, and I mean, I think the fans are reacting to that, too. I haven't seen that many Schalke supporters calling for him to be terminated. It seems like everyone is still on board with him. And I think part of that is just, um, he's different in my, I mean, like I I just, I have so much more confidence and appreciation for him than I did with, you know, Jens Keller or Di Matteo or Brighton Ryder or Marcus Vines. He just seems to be a different kind of manager and a different kind of personality in the locker room. 
yeah, it's a brilliant point to make. He he obviously has a fantastic way of communicating with the players that not all coaches have. And this is it. You go back to the the eras that you know where you had the Hunter Lars, the Rowles, you know the star players in there. And a lot of times there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of unity, but the individual brilliance was there that carried Schalke. And during that time, the fans cried out for we just want a little more unity. We we like the results, we like the individual brilliance, but we need more of a team spirit. And now they've kind of got the opposite end of the spectrum to a certain degree. But the signs are still positive for me, the fact that there is that unity under Tedesco. I think that's a great point to make. You know, I too think Tedesco should see out the whole year for sure, and, I, and I'm 100% behind him. I think what I'd like to see is maybe they bring in someone, another assistant that can help him with the offensive side because that seems to be the biggest um, biggest issue with, with him right now, that he seems to be able to figure out defensively how to set up shop, so to speak. Um, but it's just offensively, creativity is not there at the moment, and we are w- way too predictable. And that's not necessarily Tedesco all the time being a problem. It could be just the players uh, not playing as well as they were last year. And you I mean last year we weren't even uh, the most creative bunch, but at least we were clinical then. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's see how these uh, next few weeks go. Uh, let's, you know, we got the break here to to give the guys some break. Hopefully, Uth. Uh, recovers from his injury sooner than later and then uh they can kick off the uh kick off uh, the end of November uh in style and maybe get some uh, three points against Nuremberg and then as well against Porto. Um Schalke fans, what did you make of the match against Eintracht Frankfurt? Uh let us hear about it. We want to know what you think at SO4 underscore podcast on Twitter. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, we're going to do a, a quick question and answer session with um, uh, Mr. James Thorogood here. Um, this is a Schalke podcast, but I do have actually some Eintracht questions. One Eintracht question uh, for him. Um, and I, my, my, my question is, what are your impressions of Adi Hooter in the absence of, of Niko Kovac? Uh, it's, uh, to me, I thought when they lost Kovac, they lost their heart. Uh, heart and strings in the team, and they would for sure suffer going into this year. And it seems that they picked up uh, where they left off last year and have uh, even gotten better, especially offensively. Um, can you explain a little bit how Eintracht has, uh, I guess, evolved from what they were last year? Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting one because they had a tough start to the season as well. And Adi Hutter has talked about it um, at length, actually, about the fact that, you know, they had players coming back from the World Cup. There were injuries, there were new signings, and they were kind of getting used to it all and settling in again into the season. But now we're seeing that really watch Kovac started um which was absolutely brilliant, but he gave them the foundation of hard work and just running themselves into the ground and making up for maybe a lack of technical ability by with their work rate at times. And now Adi Hutter's come in and he's really gone, hold on, I'm going to give you a bit more freedom up front. Keep, you know, keep what you learned with Kovac, keep the work ethic, keep that energy levels up. But now I'm going to give you a few more weapons in your arsenal up front to, to, to play with. And, Jovic, Rebic is coming back off the World Cup with with a huge amount of confidence. Jovic is a young player that just wants to prove himself. And Allaire, I think, had a point to prove as well after Kovac left. And I think now we're just seeing Adi Hutter get the best out of all three of them. But he's doing it with the rest of the team as well. And now we're seeing them tap into their real potential where they are 
building on the momentum of last season as opposed to faltering like it looked like they might do at the start of the season. So, yeah, big, big fan of Frankfurt and what they're doing this season. How surprised are you? by that success because it seemed to me that the conversation around Frankfurt heading into the season was I mean it was all the things you just mentioned but that the, the club was poised to potentially take a um, a significant step back and and lose all of the progress they had made under Kovac there were some people even calling them potential relegation candidates which I thought was definitely a step too far um, oh it blew but, my mind yeah I mean, like, I mean but me personally in my in my not that I am by any stretch a Bundesliga a- expert but um my preseason table prediction, I think I had them like solidly at 10th, like right around mid table. Um, and so to see them in a champions league spot and, and just pouring goals in, looking like one of the more dangerous teams in the league, how surprised are you by this, this form? I, I am surprised to a certain extent. I was definitely not in the camp of saying that they were relegation candidates, but I did see them maybe dropping off a little bit in the league with the added fixture uh, list that the Europa League gave them. But they are adapting incredibly well to this. And as I say, with these three in the form that they're in, as long as they can maintain these confidence levels, the sky's the limit. But I didn't see Alaire being anywhere near as effective as he has been this season. Jovic, I, you, know, you could see that he had that goal-scoring instinct but then could anyone have predicted that he'd produce some of the performances that he's produced this season? You know, the five-goal haul speaks for itself. And then Rebic, as I say, I think everyone was expecting him to, to build on the World Cup, but they weren't necessarily expecting him to do it at Frankfurt. And I think that was a huge statement for the club that he did stay. And what I think was really important and what we're seeing from them now, which may have been what people uh, find most surprising about this, is that the team has actually gotten even closer and more tight-knit because Kovac has left. And I think there's an element where the team wants to go, you know what, he left, he's gone to Bayern, he's got the big job. We are going to prove that we can still do it without him. And they're getting the right results out of that right now. Uh, that's an excellent point there. Um, and since we're talking about the good of Frankfurt, we got to talk about the bad about Schalke. Many fans, they want to know what's going on with Schalke. Was last year, my question to you is, was last year more of a fluke now that we're looking at it? Or is there an underlying problem this year? Yeah, we've, we just kind of like briefly talked about it in the, in the last segment. Uh, but what, what, what really is going on with Schalke? And, and is it, is it Tedesco? Obviously, we don't think it's Tedesco ultimately, but, uh, why have they been struggling so mightily this year compared to last year? I, I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think there's a level of inexperience in this side when it comes to having the added burden of European fixtures in there, which on right. the one hand was a good thing last season, this youthful exuberance and naivety when it came to finishing in second place. But this season it's costing them a little bit in the league. But I, I just think it really is a, a confidence crisis right now in front of goal. And that can change very quickly. We've seen it happen in the past. The problem is with the pressure mounting, how long until the pressure gets too much for these players to really start performing under and the the fans getting on their side in a game like the Galatasaray one is so important. And as long as they can keep that up, then they're going to be in good. In, I, I, they're going to be in a good position. I don't think last year was a fluke because when you watch them grind out these results, there were very few where you said they didn't deserve it. Yes, again, we go back to not the most aesthetically pleasing football, but they deserve those results. This season, there's an element where the, they actually deserve better results than they're getting, but something isn't clicking up front. That's what needs to change. But it's an easy fix, hopefully. I, I agree that. I mean, if we were, if we score more goals, it's going to make 
you know, the lives of this team, it, it's going to make everything a lot easier for us. Goals can cover up a lot of problems. But, um, I mean, the defense to me has been struggling as well. I think it was like 30 go- 37 goals maybe that we conceded all last season. And, and now through match day 11, we've conceded 15, like definitely not on pace to uh, equal the defensive record that we had last year. Um, what do you think is causing that? Is it, is it, is it simply just the lack of Naldo's, you know, wizened presence and, you know, his calming influence? I mean, is it, is it the fact that Sané still needs to gel with people a little bit? Like what's going on? Why have we been so much more porous than we were last year? I, I do think the, the Naldo aspect is an important one to factor in, especially that coolness that I mentioned with Sani in there. But the problem was you could never ex- have expected Naldo at his age to recreate the season he had last season, um, especially in the goal scoring department, which was a, a, you know, a huge bonus for Schalke last season and one that they are missing this season. But his defensive presence is still vital for me. And this is why it struck me as a bit strange that Tedesco has dropped him out of the starting lineup as often as he had, because I thought even at his age as a veteran, he proved last season that he could still mix it with the young guns, let's say. And he hasn't really been afforded that chance because Sane's come in and they almost want to put Sane you know, front and center when it comes to their building around, uh, you know, building around him in their defensive line. Um, but as to why you're more porous, Fairman doesn't seem to have as much confidence. And that was noticeable today against Frankfurt, especially. I thought Nubel did really well. I just want to say that during his uh, stretch of games. But um, the same thing with Naldo and Caligiuri. Caligiuri couldn't have been expected to produce the same level of performances this season. And so I'm just watching the level of performance throughout the back line drop a little bit. The confidence isn't there the same way it isn't there up front. But at the same time, they are still more defensively sound than a lot of teams in the Bundesliga. And I think that's something that they can build on. It's Tedesco's strength. Um, he had a conference recently at the Vent- Veltins Arena where he brought in, you know, he was talking to, to young players and then um, other coaches as well. And his... his um, his uh, per, his project was basically on man marking and it shows that he is a defensive specialist and I think he's still getting the best out of this defensive line. Stambouli's not a centre-back by trade. Nastasic has never struck me as the most um, composed defender and Sane has his strengths that I've touched on earlier but he doesn't have the cool presence. As to why you're more porous, I think it comes down to all those factors. Uh, many many times when the teams are struggling in the season, the first question or first reaction is bring in somebody in January. Um, one of our first listener questions comes from Schalke fans Australia, and they're asking us, "What are our transfer ideas for January?" Um, I, I tried to have a think about this. I thought the Danny Rose um, rumors in the summer were very interesting, and it would have actually been a great move. And I wonder whether they can reignite that interest in January. I did see the Philip Max suggestions, and I've got to agree with them. Philip Max is a great left back, and that yeah, is a problem yeah. area for you. But I, I keep coming back to the goal scoring and the creativity, and I'm looking for a player that can maybe do something a little bit different. And the name I came to, and I don't know if he, he's really been linked with the club yet, is Herving Lozano, the Mexican that we saw shine oh, at the World yeah. Cup at PSV. Yeah. Now, he's having a really good season for PSV as well. And I'm just wondering if Schalke can get into the knockout stages of the Champions League and use that as a big bargaining chip to attract a player like Lozano, then maybe that could be something worth looking into. But I would I would invest in a creative midfielder before I invested in the back line right now. 
That's uh that's an interesting take. I did not think about Lozano, but yeah, he would be a a good addition uh, to Schalke. Um, my take is this, and I hate the January window. Well, it is a time that you can strengthen your squad, whether when you're struggling or if you're trying to make a, a final push to you know go further in the Champions League or what have you. Um, it typically seems more often than not that the player that comes in January usually has a gelling period that they needed to to adjust to, and they don't seem to get that in that first you know. Uh, from January through the end of the season, it, se- it seems like it doesn't take until the second season um, that they before they became like a, a integral member of the team. We, there are obviously examples of players that have come in in the mid season and, and 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 have been amazing from the beginning. But more times than not, it seems like that's not the case. And I, I don't know if I want to necessarily bring in somebody else because we already seem to be struggling in the chemistry department. I think we may have the talent there to do it. it just um, I don't know. I just think it needs more time. I don't, Jack, what do you think on this? Well, I think it'd be difficult for me as a U.S. men's national team supporter to uh, be rooting for Chucky Lozano in a Schalke <laughs> kit. That'd be that'd be tough. But I mean, I can't I can't deny that the the quality of of that player. That'd be a really int- that's an interesting name. I hadn't even considered that. But that would be a, obviously a fantastic addition. Um, I, I think Schalke in my opinion, historically have kind of struggled to attract like a big name. Um, and as a result, I feel like unless we were able to get like a big signing up front that our, that our, our focus should probably be more the depth of those wingback positions. And then, um, maybe an additional center back or something to strengthen that up. You know, the loss of Tilo Kara, Benedict Hovedes, we're a little bit thin back there. And, uh, you know, Stambouli is, is, is what he is, but as we've discussed, not, um, a natural, center back it and definitely gets exposed at times um when he has pacey players running down the side he he gets he gets burned a lot we saw that actually on the second goal second frankfurt goal today um yeah i, I would i would i mean just the injury trouble and you know the lack of depth um you know when, when shelf is playing wing back that's not i mean he's fine there it's just not ideal i mean i think the danny rose thing would be really really interesting and um i think we just maybe need to give some of the other players we've brought in up top opportunities like where's Skripsky been this season you know Toyker these guys Um, and and I'm not saying that these are amazing talents or anything but like I I don't understand why you buy them and bring them in and even Mascarell can fall into this category and then just not utilize them almost at all it's just it's a head scratcher to me but um, yeah I mean I'm it's it's sad to me that we're talking about the January window already yeah, on match day. I, I think I think that's just a reflection of how poorly things have gone that we're already looking to uh, who we can bolster the squad with. Yeah, I'd I'd have more faith in Tedesco turning it around with the 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 players he's got at his disposal right now than necessarily having to look to a January transfer to save your season. I think it's more likely that Tedesco will get the better the best out of this side before the end of the season. Jack, uh, I have a real quick listener question for you. Nope, I nope, think it's, nope, I think nope, it's for nope, you. Nope, nope, I know what it's going to be. I refuse to discuss it. <laughs> All right, I want to ask. Do you have a question it. for uh, for James? No, I, I think I think I'm good. I think that's that's great insight from him, and uh, it's always it's always great to get a, an outside perspective on things because you know you and I can get kind of stuck in our our narratives and our track occasionally with you know doing this week in week out. Yes, uh, absolutely, James. Uh, this has been a. Absolutely fun to, to to get another perspective of Schalke, other than you know Jack and our our owns were our 
we have a little biased opinion at, at times, but uh, it's good to have someone on the outside. And really quick, and a really quick response on this, I just want your thoughts on upon hearing Schalke mentioned as one of the German clubs linked to the joining the Super League in this uh, Der Spiegel article uh, in the Football Leagues. And to be honest, I'm not overly surprised. Um, I think if we're looking at the broad spectrum of what Football Leaks is all about, it's about money and it's about making money. And the Revier derby and the chance to have Schalke play against Dortmund in any Super League would have been seen as, you know, dollar signs in the eyes of the guys making the decisions. And so I think Schalke are there on merit. They've been a team that have made a name for themselves in Europe and caught the eye with some very impressive performances, you know, notably against Real Madrid, uh, even if that wasn't quite enough uh, to get through. But they've caught the eye and the Revier derby is, would be a huge money-making machine. And I think, therefore, Schalke are there on merit when it comes to being, you know, the third most attractive international side in the Bundesliga. Excellent, excellent. Well, on that note, I think we'll wrap this one up. Um, we want to thank Schalke, Fox Soccer, Bundesliga.com for tidbits on our podcast today. Special shout-out to NBC4 Nashville as well. James, uh, here's your time to plug away. Um, what do you have going on these days? What can we expect from you in the near future? And where can our followers find you on social media? I, I don't have a whole lot to plug. Um, you, you'll find my work on bundesliga.com, or dw.com for Deutsche Welle. Uh, the big thing I'll plug uh, while I get the chance is I do a fantasy podcast on Talking Fußball uh, most times on a Thursday. If you are interested in uh, fantasy Bundesliga, that would be a great place for you to uh, hear from me a little bit more often. On social media, you can find me at JM Thorogood and then also the UEFA com James T uh, hand. So, yeah, I'll be there for the locomotive game in a couple of weeks' time. Looking forward to it. And I'm hoping, as we mentioned earlier, that it'll be a celebration of a successful group stage. Well, thank you very much for uh, for joining us again. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, uh, to to hear your sultry voice here, to, to break up the mundane of Jack and I here. So thank you very much oh, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jack, uh, my co-host, where can our followers find you on social media? Yeah, let me just take a moment to echo Richard's sentiments there. It's been an absolute pleasure to get the opportunity to speak with you. Um, My Schalke fandom journey has been kind of an interesting thing, trying to support this club from the suburbs of Chicago. And um, I can remember, you know, five years ago before Fox got the broadcast rights for the U.S. market, um, you know, back in the days where I was watching uh, pirated streams of Schalke matches clicking out of ads every couple seconds to try to catch the action. Um, I mean, I can remember listening to talking foosball back then and uh, that kind of being the way I stayed on top of what was going on with the league. So um, thank you for all the work you've done to uh, help make me the Bundesliga fan I am today. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And then uh, JM Mangan uh, on Twitter, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N is where you can find me. Well, once again, I am your host, Richard Carman, and you can find me on Twitter as well at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Until the next pod comes, my friends, stay ready, and we'll be with you soon. Shoos. Shoos.